Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. In this world, there are more stories than corals in a tropical reef. Some are staghorn, some are brain, and some get eaten by parrotfish. But they're all worth the polyp budding. So, open your snorkel hole wide and listen. Welcome to Brushtown Stories, episode 13, from the diary of Bernard Glouch, The Bone of War. From the diary of Bernard Glouch, world traveler. We reached the Dineric Alps, which overlooked Sarajevo as night fell. There was a health spa along the road that had open rooms. Heath decided to take a soak in one of the salt baths. I stayed dry and enjoyed a drink on the terrace. My quest to find the ancient dentite artifacts would be no straight line. I knew that now. We were currently at the mercy of Heath's benefactor, an Austro-Hungarian duke who was having us run an errand in Sarajevo. I had fought with Heath about this, saying that there were more important things to do than simply run around Europe. He, in a rage, said that the Duke was holding some important information and would only give it in exchange for a bone that was being held at his private box in the Rothschild bank vault. I complained that couldn't a messenger retrieve a bone? But Heath argued that the Duke didn't trust most and that the bone was of real importance to him. I owed Heath my life, as I probably would have starved out in the Karakum Desert in the wastes of the old Silk Road had he not taken pity on me. Also, his quest dovetailed with mine, and if I were to find the Malaric tablets or something similar, all this crisscrossing would be worthwhile. Also, in truth, I had no strong desire to return to America. What waited there was my father, and his want for me to marry Eunice Sunshine, to whom I was promised. The Glouch family was one of the second families, and to hitch our lot in with the Sunshine line was considered a great honor. But Eunice had no interest in the old dentite law, and cared more about the new paste distillery and natty biological science publications. Still, though, our trip to Sarajevo seemed unnecessary. I considered this as I finished my drink. Heath came up the stairs and sat across from me. He was clad only in a towel. His chest was covered in a poultice of mud and minerals. He folded his arms, annoyed. Apparently some government envoy is coming tomorrow, so half the city will be closed off. We'll need to leave before their train arrives. It's a damned mess. We arrived in Sarajevo as the Musines were calling the Muslims to Fajr prayer. The streets of the Basarsia were busy with early morning activities. The bank wouldn't open for several hours, so we purchased coffee at a local cafe. Again, I complained to Heath about having to fetch a bone. He sipped the muddy cardamom-infused brew. A black silt coated the bottom of his mustache. What would you rather do? 
There is no uncrooked path in the world. Our lives are non-Euclidean. For the price of one bone, he's offering us the translation of a cylinder that could be the key to paradise. I'd rather be in the field. There are a thousand museums in the world who have done a thousand digs and expeditions. They have collected and stored more shards, arrow tips, bronze rods than we can imagine. I've seen the vault of the Ashmolean. They are whole cities of rubble that go uncategorized and unsorted. Perhaps there are whole dentite artifacts already dug, spread across the globe and shut away behind vault doors and history closets, but the ologists who collect and collect never look. They only amass and smirk at the size of their collection. He took another sip. Napoleon took Egypt wholesale and then dumped it in Paris. There are not enough educated men to read all the scraps of papyrus, so they sit in a drawer. So, I asked, so piddly men hunt for scraps. We are after a true thing, something unknown and unfound. When we hold the fecal box, when we retrieve the seeds of paradise, we will be vindicated. We are not made to go blind looking at cuneiform under a magnifying glass. Why have scraps when you can have the whole steak? I was unsure if this was the best course forward, but I also had little options as well. Can we trust the Duke? No, but he's our best chance. I know he's a wet apple, but he's whip-smart and his resources are vast, though he's not exactly a Duke. What does not exactly a duke mean, I asked. Before he could answer, a hawker came up to us with a jangling handful of silver-colored necklaces. He started at me in German, showing the necklaces. I ignored him, and then in broken English, he started talking about his hardships and hunger. Wanting to get him away, I pressed a coin in his hand. He thanked me and left a small medallion on the table, then ran off. It's your forehead, Heath said. You have the forehead of a kind man, and that's why they pester you. Too soft. I held the medallion in my hand. Well, I got this trinket. A bit of iron, with the cheapest of silver coat. A memento of this pointless trip. I put the medallion in my pocket. We each had another cup of coffee, and then walked toward the bank. After stating our business, we were shown into the office of the general manager. Surprisingly, it was a woman. Elena van der Man. She explained that her position wasn't official, and she catered to special clients off the books. She was descended from the famous Jewish pirate Moses Cohen Enriquez. She told us this to confirm her pedigree. I'm not sure why this would confirm her pedigree, but she said it with such confidence that all I could do was nod in agreement. She walked us through a large steel vault door. I must admit, we will be happy to be rid of Duke Schwarzenberg's deposit. She said, it's quite annoying. What, the bone sings at night, I joked. I was unsure how a bone could be such an inconvenience. Then I saw it. Oh, the bone was about ten feet long and thicker than a cannon. It was the leg bone of a giant dinosaur. It took up nearly the whole space of the safe. In fact, I saw a clerk pressing himself against the wall and shuffling sideways just to reach a deposit box. We barely fit it through the door, Elena said. That host is off his chump, Heath seethed. We're going to need an ox cart at the least. Do it quickly, Elena replied. The Archduke's visit will create a snarl. I was unsure how to even go about moving this damnable fossil, but Heath went out to the street and found several men working on the foundation of a new school building. He offered them double their wage to help move the bone and sent one of them to procure a cart. 
The workers were able to rig a harness around the bone and carry it out of the vault and into the lobby. It was then we noticed the large revolving door. Well, that's going to have to go. Elsa approached us. I'm afraid it's welded into place. We added it last month, part of several refurbishments. Postbone, I said. Postbone, she confirmed. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, Fall of the House of Sunshine is offering episode commentary to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. We considered our options regarding the bone resting in the center of the large lobby. Elsa was of no help since dragging it out here had already scuffed the marble floor. We ended up taking the grates off the window and decided to lower it to the ground in the street below. It was about halfway through the portal when we heard a loud bang in the distance. Suddenly there was pandemonium in the street. Heath commanded the men to continue hoisting the bone. It was mostly out of the window and just above the small cart when a young boy ran in and said that the Archduke's car had been bombed. Everyone started shouting, "'Well, is he dead?' Heath demanded." The boy confirmed he was unhurt. The assassin had jumped into the river to commit suicide, but the river was only ankle-deep. Currently, the crowd was beating him. Several of the workers ran off to join the brawl. This is infuriating. He's fine. Let us focus. I tell you, Bernard, these Habsburgs make such a show of everything. I would almost guess the bombing was part of the itinerary. We then were informed that the Archduke was heading to the town hall to give his speech as planned. "'See?' Heath added. "'All spectacle. Really, it's quite annoying.' Finding most of our workers gone, I took over trying to load the bone on the cart. Though I felt my guiding skills to be intuitive, the bone landed hard. This made the cart list hard to one side. Heath was unhappy, but we were able to slowly roll the cart down the street. "'Where are we going?' I asked him. "'I'm not sure.' "'We're not rolling this to Dalmatia,' I replied. "'Just shut up and push!' We very slowly progressed until we neared the Latin bridge and the wheel cracked and the whole cart overturned. The bone hit the pavement but seemed unmarred. Traffic, though, was halted. We stood in the street, unsure how to proceed. There was yelling and some people in the upper windows threw garbage at us. You tell me, Heath shouted up to them. Come down here and try to hoist this bastard dinosaur. Suddenly, several officers of the guard came up to us. They began yelling. I learned later they were the escort for the Archduke. After his speech at the town hall, he wanted to visit the wounded in the hospital, but was now stuck behind our immovable bone. Still nervous after the bombing, they demanded our paperwork. Heath translated this to me, and I reached into my pocket, which caused the medallion to fall. The guards rushed me, unsure if it was, I don't know, a tiny missile that I might consider lobbing at the Duke in what would be perhaps the most miserable attempts at skullduggery. They inspected the medallion and began shouting again. Suddenly more guards and police appeared. Apparently the medallion was inscribed with some sort of pro-Serbian symbol. Heath tried to explain it was all a misunderstanding when they slammed him into the wall. It seemed as if every officer in Austro-Hungary was surrounding us. It was only after they had pulled off my jacket and turned it inside out that we heard the gunshots. 
stuck behind us in traffic, the Archduke had been assassinated. And with that, the Great War began. Brushtown Stories is a Roy Gold production. It was written by Jonathan Goldberg with music by David Riglieri. Bernard Glouch is James Kennedy. Find out more about the show and cast at podmusical.com. Find out more about the tributaries over the River Thames by visiting West Sussex near Horsham in southern England to see the River Mole. Do I, do I have to say this? What? Do I have to say this every week? What, what's wrong? The, the moles, all, all the mole stuff. Oh, people love the mole stuff. Do they? Hmm. No one loves moles. That's why they live underground. Please, just, just say it. Just, just this last, just, just these last seven times. The river gives its name to the Surrey district of Mole Valley. The mole crosses the North Downs between Dorking and Leatherhead, which are both very funny words. Thanks for listening, and have a suntabulous bicuspid of a day. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.